Welcome to On the Brink, a fresh lens to take you and your business to new heights. I am Andy Simon. As you know, I'm the founder and CEO of Simon Associates Management Consultants. You also know that I don't like to do too much promotion on this podcast. What I like to do is celebrate the guests who I'm honored to bring to you so you can do something special, get off the brink. I want you to see, feel, and think in new ways. Fast-changing times are asking you to do just that. Most of us hate change, and we're not quite sure how to really respond, but I promise you never waste a crisis. And even though the pandemic seems to be sliding back, the new is so unfamiliar, and I don't care what kind of business or work you do, you're facing people who are also trying to adapt to fast-changing times. Somehow, you're going to have to figure out who are they. Now that they're hybrid, are they the same people that used to come in the office? What do I know about myself? How do I manage this wonderful array of people now? Some are in, some are out. The world has become global and AI sticks its nose into the thing and chatbots are doing all kinds of stuff. How can I help? So today I have Carl Hebenstreit with us. And Carl is a wonderful individual I will tell you about. And then he will tell you about his own journey because we're going to talk about Enneagrams today. And that's real important. First, who is Carl? Carl is a certified executive coach, leadership and organization development consultant, an author of two books that I'll tell you a little bit about, and an international speaker. His career spans the areas of HR and OD in biotech, clinical diagnostics, life sciences, healthcare, pharmaceuticals, and many other industries. He has really, you know, taken his expertise to places that needed him. He holds a PhD in organizational psychology and um, is helping organizations attract, retain, and motivate employees with the Enneagram was his dissertation. He is an MS in HR management from Rutgers. And so he's in, been in New Jersey near us here in New York, but it's really quite interesting. He's the author of The How and Why, Taking Care of Business with the Enneagram, now in its second edition, and a child, children's book called Nina and the Really, Really Tough Decisions. I'm not sure which we're going to spend more time on, the really tough decisions. And don't think that even though you're grown up, you aren't still a Nina and trying to figure it out. Carl, thanks for joining me today. Thank you so much, Andy. This is a pleasure and an honor and privilege to be with you today. And, and absolutely, you are so correct. And we are all Nina. We all have Nina within us forever, for our entire lives. And how do we access Nina? And how do we access all of the, the gifts and and just perspectives that she can get from, from everything that's within her? And that's really what we're here to talk about today. Well, you've had a wonderful career and a journey, and people like to hear your story. So mm -hmm. make it up. Who are you? And how have you come mm -hmm. to the point where this has become a focus? Because I think it's evolved for yeah. you, hasn't it? It really has. And I'd love to say that it was planned and strategized out, but it, it wasn't. Uh, it, the only planning and strategizing was that I need to get an education to be able to figure out what I'm going to do in this world and how I can impact and a change. And I started in one direction and ended up in a completely different direction. And that was the right direction. So, uh, yes, yeah, so as you said, there is a total East Coast connection. Yes. I was born in New York on Long Island, Mineola, Long Island, and was raised in Greece. My mom is Greek, so we went back to Greece when I was two, and I was there for seven years. Um, I came back to the United States with my parents with a British accent, which is pretty much all gone. Maybe every once in a while you hear some weird syllable or pronunciation, but uh, it's pretty much all gone. 
And uh, we settled back in, in Old Bridge, New Jersey, and was in New Jersey for pretty much the rest of my formative years until uh, I moved to California in 1998. And my formative years in New Jersey were spent, as you said, my education was from Rutgers. My undergrad is from Rutgers. My master's is from Rutgers. And I really didn't know what um, or where I was going to go with my my aspirations. My parents had ideas for sure, just <laughs> like everyone's parents do. And my my mom steered me towards languages, and I started learning French in Greece as part, as part of the school system there, along with Greek and English, of course. And my dad was is very much about politics, so he was political science. So I, as dutifully as a as a as the type that I am, I took on. Okay, I'm going to do French and political science as a double major. I can use them. I can become a diplomat, a lawyer. Who knows what I'll become? But that's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to pursue. And I dutifully went forward, used those as my my majors, and then I took an elective course in psychology. And my eyes opened up, and I'm like, wow, this is interesting. This is really really cool. Trying to understand people, trying to figure out why they behave the way they behave, why they do the things they do, what's brought them to where they are. And I took more and more elective courses because I needed elective courses to graduate. And I got to the point where I ended up with a minor in psychology, Mm -hmm. but I was still, I still had one more semester to go. And I figured out, you know, if I just take six classes in psychology for my last semester, I can get a third major. So it'll be (laughs) in psychology, French and political science. So then that gives you a little bit more of a hint of where my my Enneagram type might be because of of a wing of mine, probably, that went into play there, which I didn't know at the time. So, yeah, so I ended up graduating from Rutgers with a a triple major in psychology, French and political science. And at a time, this was back in 1993, and the economy was not very good. So I ended up figuring out, well, let me let me start trying to find work. Couldn't find anything that I could use my degrees in. And I said, well, I took this one course in industrial and personnel psychology, as it was called back then. And I, I thought that that was it. That's that's really the direction I want to take. But how do I get into that? So since I wasn't able to get a, a job right away in an area where I wanted to go into, I decided, well, let me get a temp job. I can become a temp. I was a temp during all of the school vacations and the holidays and everything like that. So I went back to the temp agency. I said, I have these parameters. I, these are my boundaries that I, I really want to focus on a job in human resources in a large organization that's headquartered here, which hopefully that would mean I'd get a job there after being a temp with them and proving myself to them. And it had to be in the human resources department. It had to be long-term. It couldn't just be like a, a, you know, a day here and a day there. It had to be something that was substantial. So they came through with me with Merck. Uh, Merck was a huge or is a huge employer in New Jersey, obviously. And I went to work there covering maternity leaves. I did two years of covering maternity leave after maternity leave after maternity leave. Lots of people got pregnant at Merck. I don't know what was going on there. But uh, yeah, covered for all the maternity leaves. And at the same time at night, was going to school for my master's in HR management. So it was a really cool way to pay for my education and get to practice what I was learning during the day at work. So that's what immersed me in the field of human resources and when I eventually moved from, eventually landed in a job at AT&T, which then moved me from headquartered again in New Jersey, moved me from New Jersey to California, which is where I ultimately always knew I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. It was just within me ingrained that I was going to end up in California somewhere. I didn't know whether it was me north or south or wherever. Mm-hmm. I ended up in Northern California, knowing no one, absolutely no one, just moved out here. I knew this is where I needed to be. And that's where I fell into the Enneagram. 
So I decided my, my HR career was great and I loved many, many aspects of it, but I wanted more. And so the next step, the next evolutionary step would be to go into organization development. Mm-hmm. And how do I do that? I need to get more of an education. So through AT&T's very, very generous tuition reimbursement program, I went to school again at night for my PhD in organizational psychology, which in California. And that's where I was introduced to the Enneagram. Uh, one of my professors was friends with Helen Palmer, who is a big name in the Enneagram. She's in the peninsula. And she came in for one of our classes. It wasn't even a whole semester long class. It was just one class. And she came in and she introduced us to the Enneagram. And much like you, I know you use Myers-Briggs in some of your engagements. I was a Myers-Briggs guy. Myers-Briggs was it. It was great. It was awesome. It, it helped explain things. It worked. It, people understood more about themselves. They understood more about their, their coworkers. People weren't crazy, or maybe they were, but it was at least explainable, whatever. And then I found out that, oh, wow, Myers-Briggs just scratches the surface. And we really don't know what's below the surface, what's causing or motivating those behaviors that we're seeing that Myers-Briggs is telling us that we do. So Helen Palmer explained that all in that one class, that one less than three hour class. And I was hooked. I was so hooked. I originally thought I was a certain type. All my classmates said, yeah, right. You're not. You're actually this other type. And they were right. Um, because we always want to be something we're not. <laughs> we're always well, I, actually, we don't really know what we are. Exactly. And, and we don't have a good mirror to help yes. us figure that. And, yes. and consequently, we, you know, humans are story makers. We create a wonderful living movie set in our mind, our mental map. Mm-hmm. And however we create it, that's where we live. And we only see the things that conform to it. And if yes. it doesn't fit, we, we just scrap it. We delete it. Exactly. Right? And yeah. so we're good at that. And so an Enneagram begins to create a way of understanding that story through mm-hmm. a really sophisticated lens. Yes. And I, I don't want to nix Meyer Briggs or Culture Index or any other methodology. Um, but they're all trying to help you see yourself through what I love to do, a, sh- a fresh lens. What's interesting exactly. is that I just want to pause for a moment because people listening and watching, you too may have had an epiphany at some point. I discovered anthropology when I was in an undergraduate, and I, I really didn't have a major. I was wandering, trying to figure out what was life about. And then I took one course, and next thing I know, I went, oh, wow, this is who I am, not just what I want to do. It sounds right. like that's what we did. It's a calling, right? It's it is a, a calling. It's a calling. And it's so I, I I am, and then I went to Columbia and I finished it, but it's a very interesting feeling. And so if you're listening or watching, don't nix it. When you have that aha moment, your brain went whoosh. And I can remember the whoosh. I can remember the professor. It was like, oh, yes. wow. Right. Yeah. While the Enneagram may help tell you more about yourself, you know, sometimes somebody will help you see yourself in ways that you could imagine. And I don't exactly. think those are, are separate. So when you discovered right. this, you know, what you do with it? I wanted to know more. It, you know, just that one three-hour class wasn't enough. I wanted to know more. So then I became involved in the International Enneagram Association, went to my first conference, started seeing all the different presenters and seeing what the different ways that people were using the Enneagram were and really saw that there was this, I I wanted to use it in business because I was in business. I was in human resources at the time. And I saw the connection that 
I was doing lots of recruiting at the time. And I saw how we were recruiting for the same type over and over and over again. We were recruiting not only in our own image, but in the culture of the organization. We were excluding certain people right off the bat because we weren't acknowledging different drives and needs that they had that would be important for them. Yeah, to have in an organization, to offer them those options for benefits, for for culture that they, they would need. And the realization from a diversity perspective is that we do need all nine of those different drivers and perspectives in any group, team, or organization. Otherwise, we're going to succumb to groupthink, and we're, we're going to miss out on serving the needs of this whole other populace that is not being served, whose interests are not being thought of or considered. So that's where I just became totally immersed in it and started practicing and experimenting in the organizations for which I worked at that time. I'd I'd been, um, this was after 9-11. So um, AT&T had done some major layoffs. I was then working in many other different companies and was able to practice the Enneagram and use the Enneagram model and framework in many different settings. I know traditionally it's being used mostly for individual coaching executive coaching and team development and team building. But there were so many other applications that I saw from all the other models that we use as consultants. And I saw the the overlaps and the correlations. And I started saying, hold on a second, why do we need to know all these different models? What if we just tap into this one model and use its robustness for all these different applications? Huh. Instead of having, oh, now you need to learn Thomas Kilman. Now you need to learn, you know. No. There are so many, and I and after yes. a while you begin to wonder how many colors you are with disc, and you know what what flavors are you with that, and, uh, exactly. and and what does that really help you do? So, can you give us and the listeners and viewers some idea about oh a problem where you applied it or a case study that worked well? Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I want to dig a little deeper. We are um, we're torn in our society. Mm-hmm. Between embracing words, diversity, equity, belonging, inclusion, and actually right. living it and being an yes. anthropologist, um, birds of a feather flock together. Humans are mm-hmm. herd animals. And yeah. they feel the safest out of danger when they're with people who are like them, who yes. look like them, talk like them, mm-hmm. and affirm them. I mean, exactly. it's an interesting. We live with a mirror, and we're looking mm-hmm. for a mirror that looks like us in some fashion. Exactly. But the cognitive diversity, the neurodiversity, the racial, ethnic, and gender diversity, and 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 sexual diversity bring new ideas and new ways of doing things at a time when we really do need to embrace them, as well as to realize that that's that's the world we're in. Um, and I have a hunch you've been applying this in different places. Can you give us a couple of illustrations? Absolutely. The the one that immediately comes to mind is when I worked for a uh, a clinical diagnostics company and my clients, I was an internal, and my clients were the R&D division. So I had the vice president of research and development and all of his direct reports. And they had an introduction and I did an introduction to the Enneagram for them. They loved it. They saw, they understood each other better. It was more for their own team development, but they were struggling. It was a type six company overall and still is, I believe. And it, it was very much about that conservative um, nature, which really doesn't work in an R and D environment. You need to promote innovation and experimentation and not basically punish people for exhibiting those behaviors that may not be successful. Because they not all of R and D is going to be successful. I mean, it's it's right. 
I saw something somewhere that said, if we knew what we were doing, we wouldn't be calling it research. <laughs> so it's it's experimentation and learning from failures and, and not really punishing the people that, that went out of the box and did that. So they were struggling. They, they, they want to create a new sandbox, but God forbid you walk outside the door and try to. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's unsafe. You can't do that. So they knew the Enneagram. And this was a totally different engagement. We were at a totally different offsite because they were talking about empowerment. Empowerment was really something that they, they were wondering, why aren't people innovative? Why aren't they taking the initiative to, to take things on? Why are they always coming to us for approval? Why does it have to go up the chain? And again, type six company, right? Now, so for a second, type six is loyal skeptic. Is that what we're referring to? Yes, exactly. Okay. The loyal skeptic, but, um, the, the, their superpower, the type six's mm-hmm. superpower is the ability to see every single worst case situation that could possibly happen and <laughs> plan and prepare for it, which is how they stay safe. Because if it does happen, they are the ones that you want to follow. They they have the the plan. They have the, the kit. They have the, everything has been planned out and, and, and thought through and just follow them. You will go to safety. Until there's a pandemic and they haven't got a clue what to do. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And then they, they're they're more conservative in their, you know, I, I need to stay safe. I need to be secluded. I need to be isolated. That kind of thing until they can figure out exactly what is the safest way to do. And of course, there's a, there's, we can type, dive a lot deeper into this. And there's a subtype that takes it to a different extreme where they push the boundaries and they want to say, I'm, I, what will it take for me to be safe? Let me go and, and do all these outlandish things to know what the possible yes. horrifying, terrifying effects are, and then plan for that afterwards so that I know that I will be safe if these things even happen. So I will go skydiving, even if I'm afraid of heights, that kind of thing. Yes. But yes. So thank you for bringing that back to type six as being the loyal skeptic and a little bit more conservative to be safe, to stay safe yeah. and necessarily push those boundaries unless the you're that specific subtype um, or instinct. And the what I, what I brought to them was because they were struggling, they were coming up with all these different things through their own lens, their own cultural lens that had all of those barriers around it, all those walls around it. They couldn't figure out how to help their employees be more empowered. And I said, hold on a second. You, we, we know this. You, you have a model. You Think about what this model has taught us, right? So what if we created in this structure that we have, in this culture that we have that needs a safety net, let's create a safety net that helps people be empowered. So why don't we look at the nine different types on the Enneagram, Mm -hmm. the insights that they provide, and let's think about how can we help people say, let's look at what a type one lens would help us choose or or look through. And that would be the perfectionist. That would be the the mission. That would be the quality. Mm -hmm. So if someone has an idea as an employee and wants to do something that's out of the box, have them go through each of the nine types and the questions that would be offered by them. And if they can answer them in a positive way and say, yes, I've considered all these nine types and I know that this is going to work or it should work from everything that we know. And they go forward with it without running it up the flagpole. And if something does go wrong, if the pandemic strikes or whatever that we didn't plan for, oh, well, this person did everything with due diligence in in the positive intent. and, and, And most of the times that would have been successful. Yes. Right? But if, you know, we had this weird one-off of the pandemic or some other thing that happens, we couldn't plan for that anyway. So guess what? The vice president would have probably made the same decision. 
So <laughs> if they do it with good faith and good intent and, and due diligence and followed all nine questions or nine perspectives, something fantastic will have come of it yes. or they will have learned a lesson and reapplied it and, and retweaked it and made it into something fantastic. And that's what can help us drive that innovation and empowerment that we're looking for rather than people feeling like if I do something and it goes wrong, I'm going to be punished. And now a word from our sponsors, Simon Associates Management Consultants. That's us. And we're here to help you see, feel, and think in new ways. Whether you are an organization that's stuck or stalled or an individual in that organization who's looking to rethink their own life's journey. Simon Associates has designed programs and processes to help you do just that. Our first book, On the Brink, A Fresh Lens to Take Your Business to New Heights, told the stories of seven clients who were stuck or stalled, and a little anthropology helped them see things through a fresh lens, reignite their growth, and soar again. My new book that came out in January 2021 is called Rethink, Smashing the Myths of Women in Business. It's all about how 11 women, including myself, were able to see past the hurdles, the glass ceilings, and the brick walls and become the best that they could be. They heard things like women aren't lawyers and women can't lead and women aren't in geosciences. And they said, of course we are. And they really pushed through and did it with such ease that they want other women to see what's possible. At the end of the book, I provide a bit of a how-to process for you. If you're on the brink of rethinking your own life's journey, it's time to pause, step back, and ask yourself, where am I going? What's my passion and my purpose? And am I there or can I get there? Send us your emails to info at andysimon.com and we'll get right back to you to see how we can help. On andysimon.com are some free chapters for both books. And you can also join our newsletter and our Facebook group, Rethink with Andy Simon. We are bringing together women to help other women do what they can't do by themselves, very often to see what's possible and become the best that they can be. Come join us. And now back to our podcast. Well, you know, part of the, the challenge, since we do a lot of work on culture change, is that culture defines the way we do things here. Yes. And if you deviate from the way we do things here, it is scary because um, you become an outsider. And, you know, the book, The Secret of Our Success, I love that we've evolved because of this collective brain that mm -hmm. we've shared and not because of isolates who have pulled us. Sometimes they have. Um, but it's, it is an interesting opportunity. The Enneagram, though, gives you a methodology for really understanding diversity in a new, new fashion. Absolutely. And, and if you all find yourself at sixes, then you're going to have a hard time trusting anybody who comes in as an explorer or an inventor. But you could if you understood the differences there. In, are there some illustrations about how it's being used to embrace the diversity and begin to understand what it means? Something you can share, perhaps. Absolutely. There's actually some a really great work through Dr. Deborah Egerton, and she just published a book called No, no Justice... Um, no peace. And it's K-N-O-W justice, K-N-O-W peace. And I love the way that she presents the Enneagram as a way that we have all these nine styles within us and how do we tap into them? Uh, and we obviously everyone is not at the same level of integration or healthiness in their journey, their development journey and understanding themselves and seeing how the Enneagram can help them be even more effective and productive and, and happier in their lives. So there are three different basic levels. 
And the really cool thing is she shows how each type has this, this opportunity to leverage these gifts, these superpowers that each type has, and ultimately lead into an ally, to become an ally for all elements of diversity. So wouldn't it be great? Because we do have all nine types within us. Yes. Um, we just concentrate on one core. That's our core motivator throughout our entire life. But wouldn't it be great to also explore these other eight styles that we have within us and see when they would be more appropriate in each different situation and know that other people are leading with one of those eight other styles or, or our style as well, but maybe through a different subtype or instinctual lens and understand that we need all those nine perspectives in order to see the world as it really is, rather than just that 40 degree sliver that we're looking at it through. So there's an application that way where we can teach people about the Enneagram. So it doesn't really take into account heredity or sexual orientation or race or anything like that, but it's all about, we're all human. We are all human and we all share these nine primary motivators and let's understand each other through those nine lenses and, and not exclude them, not separate them, but include them and integrate them into ourselves as well. So we have this robust, diverse power that we can then catalyze for, for making change and making the world a better place. Carl, if I hear what you just said clearly and clarify it for me, um, the words that are being used around diversity, um, all the different categories are fine. Um, But maybe we should change that thinking, not around gender or sexual orientation or race or other things, but think about us as people who have different parts of us operating in different ways, nine different ways to be. And look at our different uh, enneotypes. I remember when I did mine, it was a one something and a seven, but I'm, I've been, I'm an explorer, but I'm also an artist and I've been a boss. I've been, you know, EVP of a bank um, and, uh, and an achiever. And the the balance of them creates who I am, not a one, but all of them that I'm heavier in. And then there are others where I'm even an anthropologist and I know I'm an observer. I, I really do five stuff all the time. Am I a loyal skeptic? Not much. Um, I don't overplan and I let life move me through a journey. But what's interesting about it is that it redefines the diversity that you need for effective relationships, for effective business. Yeah. Um, and that, exactly. makes, that makes it right. And now it gives us a platform on which to understand each other, as well as to mm-hmm. personally know how we're evolving within the, the yes. organization, right? Because you're not the same yeah. person as an intern. No, that's right. Right. And, and, and tapping into those differences, because knowing that if whatever every organization is going to somehow end up being a certain culture, it's going to align with a type one culture or two cultures, whatever, one of the nine cultures, just because of the nature of the industry, the nature of the leadership and just who it attracts that way. However, wouldn't it be great to find the diversity that we need and call it out rather than shun it? And put it aside, knowing that we need that diversity because we know we're in groupthink world whenever we have more and more of these type threes are congregating together or sevens congregating together. And we just need to integrate these other perspectives as well, rather than close them off and shut them down and and, and not allow them to speak, not allow them to have voice. And, And we do have all nine types within us. 
I often use theater as a metaphor. This woman in Manhattan who has a company <clears throat> called the Performance of a Lifetime, and she's an ex-theater person. Um, and I've used her for public speaking training and all kinds of stuff. But you know, if you think of life as theater, and then the question is, what are the roles that you're playing when? Yes. And the context will influence what part of you, I mean, if Robert Redford can play out of Africa and the way we were, so can you play multiple roles, right? You could be cast in one by others, mm-hmm. or you can begin to cast yourself in a in, in a way for now that you can lead or you can follow, or, you know, you can be, you know, loyal, or you can be an adventurer and you mm-hmm. can reframe yourself and the story you have based on the context. And you know Absolutely. what you understand that life yes. is theater and you can. Yeah. I'm having such fun, but we do have to wrap up because I'm watching our time and our listeners are very, very engaged for about a half hour. And we're just about at that point. A couple of things you don't want them to forget. I don't want listeners to forget that. And I think we touched on this at the beginning. It's really about the readiness of the person or the organization to which instrument you use. Uh-huh. So um, in some cases, and and the Enneagram is not the be-all and end-all for everything. Myers-Briggs is not the be-all and end-all for everything. Hogan is not the be-all and end-all. Leadership Circle is not. It's whatever the organization or person is ready to get that information about the the feedback to understand themselves better if they're not at that point of self-awareness yet. So I think readiness is critical. Um, The other thing is the platinum rule which we didn't discuss. A lot of times people get hung up on the golden rule, which is treat others the way that you want to be treated, which is not true. And it's not diverse, inclusive. It's not. The platinum rule is a far better rule for people to help understand how other people want to be treated. So treat people the way they want to be treated, mm-hmm. which then helps us use any of these other instruments that we mentioned, but the Enneagram really tends to to really be the, the, the best one in that realm because it helps us understand where they're coming from, what their drivers are, their motivations, and what's gonna what's how they want to be treated. Well, and that third, also means you have to listen and you have to yes. and and listen without pushing it through your mind map. Exactly. Listen so that you can really hear what they are saying and what they're all about. That requires exactly. a little mm, a little patience because when you first hear them, you're going to interpret it. Perhaps right or wrong, but you don't know for sure. That's cool. And your yeah. third one? No, you're, you're absolutely right. Through your, you're interpreting it through your lens, and we need to be more curious and not jump to conclusions about yes. that. Let uh, hear their story and build that relationship with them to really know where they're coming from. And the third one is that we are all diverse inside of us. We have those nine diverse perspectives and ways of looking at the world, and we should not just stick to the one that is our core. We need to integrate all nine types, all the eight other styles that are lesser used um, and are are lesser accessible. Um, So integrate all those, and then we'll have a much better idea of what's going on in our every single situation. Now, I have a hunch you have really elaborated on this in your book, right? Yes. Can you talk a moment about the name of the book and where they can find the book and what you got in the book? Yeah. So there is a book that's called The How and Why, Taking Care of Business with the Enneagram. And it's in second edition right now. The second edition got published during the pandemic when I had some time to really add more stuff to the first edition and make it even more robust and more new learnings and more new exercises and models. So that is available to help people to basically use the Enneagram for any organizational develop, organization development intervention that they have or any organizational situation or challenge that they're put in. So that's available on Amazon. You can also check out more about it on my website, which is www.perform perform and function.com. 
So performandfunction.com. And there's also, you'll see that there's another book, another smaller book, much smaller book, and intended for all audiences, uh, especially people that may not even know the Enneagram in advance. Not that you need to know the Enneagram in advance for the business book either. But this is intended to help people learn about the Enneagram at a much younger age so, so it makes their life easier. So they, they can understand about the importance of the diverse perspectives that lie within us and that we can really integrate. It's called Nina and the Really, Really Tough Decision. Mm-hmm. So it takes one of the chapters in the business book and really reinterprets it through the lens of a child learning about all the different perspectives that her different friends have. And so how can she integrate them into whenever she needs to make a difficult decision? You know, you're tickling my curiosity about whether I should take rethink, smashing the myths of women in business, my my second book, and begin to rewrite it for a team book. Um, and uh, yes. as an audience, uh, but I'm not quite sure the teens can't read the book already. It's it's sort of like who do I no. want and how? So it's a really interesting time. This has been such fun. Yeah. Um, if they want to reach you, mm-hmm. the perform website is where they should go. Performandfunction.com has all my contact information as well. LinkedIn, of course, uh, R. Carl Hebenstreit, Carl with a K. And there's another Carl Hebenstreit out there too. So kudos and <laughs> cheers to him. <laughs> um, the R. Carl yes. Um, I think that the listener is probably listening to us talk about nine different types and kinds of things that are difficult to talk about in a half hour. So I would urge you to Google Enneagram and then get into Carl's book because it offers you a way to see, feel, and think about the world and yourself through a fresh lens. That's my job, to get you off the brink. I want you to soar again, to change. And sometimes the mirror isn't echoing back to you what you need to know to see the world the way it's developing. And I know in particular people managing in a hybrid world really need to understand what people are going through as they are reassessing themselves, understanding how to get things done differently. And when change is unsettling, your mind, your amygdala hijacks it and hates it and wants to go back to the familiar. And you can't go back. It's not there. Uh, And the world that was, I'm not sure it's coming back that fast. It might be a little at a time, but it's been great fun. Charles, thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Andy. This has been awesome. Well, awesome it is. For those of you who come, I can only tell you thank you. Uh, you can pick up my books at Amazon and Barnes and Noble and, you know, go Google them. Um, they are selling really, really well. And I have uh, colleges and universities still using On the Brink, a fresh lens to take your business to new heights. And Rethink is helping women see themselves through a fresh lens so they know that they should not accept mm, limits. And McKinsey's writing about the great breakup and women leaving the workforce. It's time. Maybe a little Enneagram could help them understand themselves better and help the uh, organization understand why those women are so important to them. But you can reach me at info at andysimon.com and learn more about us there and about our programs. And uh, simonassociates.net is our website, a brand new one, ready for you to explore and learn all about what we do to help people see, feel, and think in new ways. Goodbye, Carl. Have a great day. Everybody who came, thank you for joining us. Have a wonderful. Bye-bye now.